Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading slightly higher. U.S. markets close overnight for the 4th of July U.S. Independence Day celebrations. They open this evening. Joining me now to break down all the market action is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Michelle. Are you ready? I am ready. Now, listen, all this week we've been taking a look at how markets are kicking off the start of the second half of the year. And you might say that we've been doing it Scrabble style, taking all the different letters, different points of view, and coming up with one word that coherently describes the markets. Orion, you chose tech for the United States. Mm-hmm. Your word for the Singapore market was blah. Uh, my word choices have been surprising for the American markets and yields for the Singapore market, highlighting how some REITs offer better returns than the CPF. Well, this morning, let's turn to China. There was a lot of hope, bullish sentiment over in China at the start of the year as Beijing did an about-face and abruptly ended its COVID-19, COVID-0 policy. So tell us, we're at the midway point of 2023, Ryan. Your one word to describe China markets is... It starts with letter D disappointing. So I think we all entered the year thinking, hey, China's going to reopen. It's going to be good news for the economy. We're going to see Chinese tourists come out with revenge travel and spending. To some extent, we did see that, but not as strong as what the market watchers are hoping for. So in the initial month going into January, we saw a bit of a bounce. Mm -hmm. And there was... uh, things on track that, hey, maybe things are playing out. And that bounce uh, saw a jump in, for example, the Hang Seng as well as Goldman Sachs come out to say it's just going to be a matter of time before Chinese stocks rise by nearly 50% in a matter of weeks. And this is uh, something that did not play out as we're now familiar with because shares are down 15 to even 20% from those peaks and you are looking at a bit of a pullback as people try to recalibrate their expectations because they are realizing that the consumer confidence and spending are just not as strong as what they were hoping for. Mm -hmm. So that is playing out as we see policymakers try to figure out what to do. They've been trying to make borrowing at more cheaper levels, but people are not borrowing. So there is a gap in terms of what they might need to do in order to re-stimulate the economy. So I'm torn. I mean, I could go with disappointing. Uh, The Chinese economy and Chinese stocks, as you say, certainly have not lived up to their promises this year. And we can see that also with a hedge fund called Dantai Capital. That's closing shop because it's finding the China market to be too challenging. Uh, Instead of disappointing, I think I'll go with promising just Mm because I like to be contrarian. Just hope I'm not disappointed with my choice. Now, one reason why the China market seems to hold a lot of promise in my book is that there is no new speculation that Beijing may announce a new stimulus package. What do you make of this? Yeah, this has been something everyone's been talking about for quite some time. No, it's around the corner. It's coming Mm. soon. Stimulus. And this is a playbook we've seen before. China will roll out something to help stimulate the economy. We've seen this play out many times and typically involves infrastructure building or spending on something which will benefit some sectors and of course create jobs. So typically this is a playbook for many 
policymakers as well. So China would typically look at this as one of the go-to things to shore up growth and growth has been disappointing, so why not? So if you look at the recent data, we've seen manufacturing output falling for the third straight month. We are also seeing softening trade, rising youth unemployment. The property sector is still in the doldrums. And of course, the US-China tensions are taking up a notch as we speak. In fact, there is a separate story we might get into, which is the US talking about restricting Chinese companies' access to Amazon and uh, cloud services by Microsoft. So that is going to impact Chinese businesses to some extent. So we've got that playing out in the backdrop. So that stimulus is going to be important if you want to shore up spending because if you have cash in hand, you Mm -hmm. might be inclined to spend it. So that is the hope and Perhaps we might see it, but to what extent? And will it be targeted or will it be broad spread? That is the next question. Uh, we did see an inkling that we might get something because in June, the People's Bank of China cut its key interest rate for the first time in 10 months. So there was a 10 basis point cut to 2.65%. And we saw markets liking it. The Hang Seng Tech Index, for example, was up 2% in the immediate reaction. So no surprise that we have speculation, a bit of hope, a bit of optimism that we might get a stimulus coming through and that might come through in the policy meeting by the Politburo later this month. This is the one they typically have to set forth policies for the coming year. No exact date when that will be, but it's expected to happen by the end of July. One more note on China. The Shanghai and Shenzhen composites have lost ground over the past three months, but they are up 4 to 5% since the beginning of the year. Not nearly as good a performance as US stocks, but better than Singapore. All right, let's take a look at a couple of specific stocks right now. Morgan Stanley is bullish on the Chinese tech giant Baidu. It thinks that Baidu is a great proxy for investing in the rising use of artificial intelligence. What do you make of this? argument. Yeah, put a buy in Baidu. <laughs> That's what Morgan Stanley is saying. And you can even spell AI in Baidu. So <laughs> why not? So the argument here is Baidu, the search engine giant for China, has of course been making progress on AI as well. The so-called Chinese version of ChatGPT is uh, the Ernie bot. Right. So they have that going for them. And Morgan Stanley believes Baidu will be the so-called most obvious beneficiary of increasing AI adoption in China. So everyone who's on the AI bandwagon will likely go to the big boys. And in this case, it's going to be Baidu. And they are looking at things like autonomous driving, things you might use your chatbots for, everything to do with AI. Baidu's going to have a slice of the action. So with Baidu being in that dominant position, they will likely also be favoured to get the so-called, uh, so-called regulatory licence to commercialise AI-generated content, which is something regulators have been pushing for. So on that front, you also have that hurdle um, seemingly easy for them to pass. So Baidu is really leading the pack. Baidu has performed 
more like an American tech company this year than a Chinese blue chip. Its share price is up 25% since January. Imagine that. Another stock that has caught my eye is Yum China. It opens, it owns, operates, franchises all the KFC and Pizza Hut outlets in the PRC. Uh, I do love my fried chicken. People know that. But more than that, the average analyst target price for Yum Cha is some 25% higher than where the stock is trading now. Impressive. Ryan, what do you think? Is F&B a way to go? Yeah, talk about fried chicken. Tomorrow is yeah. International Fried Chicken Day. Oh, thank you. So More excuses to eat more. plans for you. I know you like chicken too. I do, I do. Time to time. So we've got Yum China. That really is um, giving me some ideas for lunch right now. So this is one of the stocks that is in focus because according to some market watchers, it is undervalued and attractive and if you look at the numbers it does paint an attractive picture if you look at Yum China's trailing 12-month net income margin it's at 6.43% that is more than half than what the industry average is which is 4.2% so it is making better profit margins than its competitors its trailing 12-month EBITDA margin is 14.65% which is above the industry average of 10.65%. So Yum China could benefit if things really bounce back when it comes to the economic activity. And of course, if you get a stimulus, it could benefit as well as people try to eat out more. So that is something to keep an eye on. I've seen arguments that Yum China is having trouble deploying its capital effectively and that it may be facing diminishing rates of return. Yum China shares down 10% over the past three months, but analysts still appear to be bullish on it going forward. You heard some great arguments there for that. One more China note. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will arrive in Beijing tomorrow for a four-day visit. Relations between China and the U.S. rocky to say the least. Yellen hoping to improve communications between the world's two largest economies. All right, we haven't done this in a while, so I thought "Mm, it is time to resurrect the Elon Musk files. It's been a really chaotic week, perhaps even more so for Twitter. Musk put limits on the number of tweets that users, get this, can read. And he's moving a popular app, TweetDeck, behind a paywall. So why limit viewership, Ryan? Yeah, when I saw the headline, I was a bit confused. Mm. It's like telling someone, hey, you can browse the internet, but can only browse 10 pages. You're limiting the experience for someone and you want people to use your product. So why are you limiting their usage of your product? So when you look at the argument from Elon Musk, it does make some sense. So what's happening here is you've got a lot of so-called bots, a lot of um, data scrapers around the internet. So these things have been making use of Twitter's public data. So what people are saying online, how they are feeling, what are the trending items, what are the key things to keep an eye on. And as we see chatbots and AI and ChatGPT, for example, try to get more data, sometimes live data, to feel and learn more about the world around them, Mm -hmm. they will rely on things like Twitter. And Twitter is not getting paid for serving the data to these guys because when you access Twitter, there's some data server usage. So the loads are just weighing 
on Twitter and they had to pay more for data center usage and traffic. So in that sense, Elon Musk is losing out. Someone is benefiting from him for you know, not paying as well. So in that sense, he's saying, hey, maybe if I put a limit on it, these chatbots will not affect me that much. So he says it's a temporary thing until things get back in shape. And that's also one reason why apparently there was a disruption for the Twitter service because chatbots and all the things that were taking data from Twitter were just going to overdrive. An opinion piece on Bloomberg I came across argues Musk is turning Twitter into a nightmare cruise ship by cutting off the all-you-can-eat Twitter buffet. I mean, imagine being on a cruise ship and no buffet line. Mm. Other analysts argue that this move really is a nail in Twitter's coffin. What do you think? It is potentially worrying for Twitter because you have that need to attract users. And if they don't if they don't get the full experience, they are going to move elsewhere, especially if they've been used to the old experience of having a buffet. Then you take away the buffet, they are going to grumble. And then there is that risk they might move to somewhere else where there's a buffet. Mm. And there's no shortage of options when it comes to social media. Already, you have Jack Dorsey come out of Blue Sky and people have been flocking to it. You have the usual suspects when it comes to social media. So why will people want to stick around with Twitter? So that is the challenge. But of course, he has his own uh, challenges, challenges as well. Um, when you look at the current situation, you've got Twitter right now swamped with a lot of promoted tweets automated accounts, bots, ads. So just browsing Twitter, your so-called quota can quickly pile up, especially when you look at things you didn't mean to read. When you look at replies, there's no control to who's replying to your tweet or how many tweets you want to look at. So in a matter of time, you can just add up very quickly and then, hey, there you have it. You're done for Twitter for the day. So you just move on to something else. Yeah, this goes against the whole doom scrolling infinite experience of being on the internet, just jumping from one train of thought to another, really. Will this mean hashtag RIP Twitter? Well, we talked this week about how Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are said to be seriously considering a cage fight. Well, Zuckerberg is giving Musk another reason to get pretty worked up. Meta is set to launch a new microblogging app this week. It's called Threads. And the images that have been released so far look remarkably similar to Twitter. So we talked about some uh, alternatives. What do you make of Thread? Yeah, so the curtain raiser for the cage fight is here. Musk versus Zuckerberg. So Twitter versus Instagram. Instagram is launching threads that you pointed out. It's looking very similar to Twitter. And this is text-based, so you can look at a conversation in a chronological order and people can reply to your posts, your exact posts as well. It's almost like replying to the exact message in your WhatsApp conversation. You can just have this conversation Uh. going on. Uh, So it's a more, in a sense, conducive arena for a discussion. So that's not a surprise to see this happen because Elon Musk or rather Mark Zuckerberg has been known to borrow ideas from other companies. Like IG Stories actually came from Snap, which he tried to buy. He he couldn't get it. So he just took the idea anyways. And now IG Stories is so popular that there are more people using IG Stories than Snap. And to a certain extent, 
many features in Instagram and Facebook have been borrowed elsewhere as well. So why not just borrow the thread idea? So this is potentially another nail into the, the Twitter coffin. Yeah, so it uh, could be the biggest threat that Twitter has seen so far. Threads, shares of Meta have more than doubled since the beginning of the year. Twitter, on the other hand, has seen its value plummet by two-thirds since Musk bought it last year. All right, 23 minutes on the clock. Time for corporate news and our daily game up or down. Ryan, first up is a South Korean company. They're called Samsung Biologics. All right, I am looking at it up for Biologics. And this is with two deals with with Pfizer worth nearly 920 million US dollars to make products for the pharma giant. Yeah, up for me as well. Samsung Biologics has announced those mega deals to manufacture products for Pfizer. The company's shares have been losing ground this year. They are down about 10%, but I think that this news is going to lead investors to reverse course. So I'll give Samsung Biologics an up. Let's look at SATs. Yeah, this is interesting because there's some synergy here between SATs and SingPost as they ink an MOU for an e-commerce transshipment hub. So that is expected to reduce delivery times, operating costs, and manpower. When you think about it, you know, all your Shopee parcels or what have you, they go through SingPost. They also go through the airport. So these two guys coming together does make some sense. Sats exploring that tie-up with SingPost to develop an e-commerce transshipment hub. Both Sats and SingPost shares have been in the doldrums. Sats is down 30% over the past year. Many investors believe that the baggage handling and airline catering company overplayed its hand with an acquisition last year. Perhaps this new partnership with SingPost will turn the tide or at least help do so. I'm going to give Sats a cautious up. All right, let's uh, head over to India. Let's look at Reliance Geo. Yeah, so this is going to be an up for me. What can you buy with $12? Smartphone. Smartphone. (laughs) Yeah, that is a shocking price you can pay for a smartphone. Shockingly low. Uh, This comes with streaming and digital pay features as well. So it's not too shabby. And this is an effort by Geo Platforms to convert many of the users in India who are stuck in the legacy 2G networks. Um, I believe it's a long-term play. If you get addicted to 4G features in time to come, you'll just keep using more data, stream more videos, watch more stuff. And then, hey, you're going to pay Geo Platforms or any telco more for your data plan. Let's take a closer look at the 12 US dollar smartphone Reliance Geo is launching in India. The phone is internet enabled. It can stream video. It can be used for money transfers. There's a huge market for phones with this price tag. I wouldn't mind trying one for 12 US dollars. Plus, there are an estimated 250 million Indians using 2G phones who may now see this as an upgrade. So I'd say this is definitely an up for Reliance Geo and its parent company the Ambani Group. All right, let's look at a figure that we haven't talked about forever on this show, I have to say, Barbie. Yeah, I would expect you to have grown up with Barbie at some point in your life. Never did. <laughs> Never did. Never. All right, Books so before I Barbie. guess you're not going to catch the movie, Barbie. Never. Well, you're not <laughs> going to be, I guess, missing out in a sense because Vietnamese fans will also not be catching the, the movie Barbie. Oh. Because it's been banned there. 
So this is because of a map in the movie which shows a disputed area of the South China Sea, the so-called Nine Dash Line, the U-shaped line, which is undisputed not just between Vietnam and China, but also Malaysia, the Philippines, and, well, they didn't like the line. So there you have it. There the Barbie movie has been banned. In Vietnam. So much for Barbie being apolitical. The rift with Vietnam could be bad news for Warner Brothers, which made the film. So I'm going to give this uh, down. Speaking of UOB, they were the bank that had the good sense to make a deal with Taylor Swift. UOB cardholders have a chance to buy tickets to Swift's concerts here before they go on sale to the general public. In fact, from 12 noon today. So... You know what happened? Applications for UOB cards surged on that news. Applications were up 45%, not just here in Singapore, but across the region as well in Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Vietnam as well. Have you applied for a card yet, Ryan? I already have a card, but I'm not that big a Taylor Swift fan, so I'm just going to maybe enjoy the... I guess festivities around the stadium when ah, this concert is going on. So your little girl is not yet in the demographic. Yeah, she's more a black pink person. Oh, yeah. sweet. Well, uh, you may not be the demographic, but more than half of those who really uh, recently got a new UOB card may interest you, marketeers. They are women. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Well, I hope getting a card is enough to get the ticket because it is still going to be a bloodbath, I'm sure. <laughs> there is a huge crowd and wow, I am wondering if she's going to add on more shows to her lineup. Oh, good point. Well, I'm going to give these fingers of mine a little bit of a workout at 12 and I will share with you whether or not I have been successful at getting ah, two tickets. Ticket prices from $108 to $348. That's the... Uh, and that's the VIP package. Mm. 1,228 gives you a tote bag, sticker and postcard set and lanyard. And if you want to wait it out even more, MBS is coming out with packages that comes with rooms as well. So if you miss out on the pre-sale, maybe there's a chance down the road. I've always said it pays for banks to align with the stars. So UOB must be pretty feeling pretty good about their idea to sell uh, these pre-sale tickets. More details coming up throughout the show. Stay with me right here on Your Money. He's Ryan Huang. Thanks, Ryan. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.